Hi, everybody. So glad that you're here. If this is your first time here, or even if you've been uh, here before, welcome to Thrive Church. Our prayer is always that you find something meaningful, whether you are live in our studio audience. Is that what we're calling it now? Anyway, or if you're watching online. So if you are here, why don't you say hi to the people online by just clapping or something? Uh, we're so glad that everyone's kind of hanging out with us, whether you're digital or whether you're, you know, a warm body in a rather cool theater this morning. Yeah, I'm so glad that we can all be together. I was commenting about this to my family that, you know, even probably 10, 15 years ago, we couldn't do that. We didn't have this technology available, and that's so cool that we can. If uh, uh, you are um, suffering from COVID or COVID exposure, I don't even know what we're calling it anymore. Anyway, we're praying for you and want everybody to be healthy and protected, so thank you for making the decisions that you are. Appreciate it. All right, I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. That's where we're going to start today. Genesis chapter 15. If you have a Bible, you can turn there analog style like me, or you can do it digitally if you are so inclined by punching in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, We're going to um, talk a little bit about what we did last week, Um, but uh, let me reread the context, the literary context, and then we're going to go from there. So Genesis chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. After this, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus, who was a servant in his household. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land uh, to take possession of it. And Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them into and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. So my question is, to start with, what happens when you connect with God and he speaks? If you are trying to take seriously um, being a disciple of Jesus and spending time in his presence, there is a very good chance that you are going to hear God speak to you, or you are at least going to think that God may be speaking to you. Uh, It is not an uncommon thing for you to hear something um, that you believe might be from the Lord, and you you will question it. You will question whether or not it's your own voice or if it's wishful thinking. That is just true. That happens to everybody. But I think that it's an important thing to know that God will often speak to you in your voice so that you'll understand him. 
keep that in mind. That if you hear that voice, it is, it is, it's a very good chance that it is the Lord. Now, obviously, there are certain tests, and you got to do some processing around it, but don't be surprised if, if he's speaking to you. So what do you do? What happens to you when you connect with him and he actually speaks? Well, I hope that through this entire series, <laughs> actually the last year or so, perhaps, um, you've realized a couple of things. First <laughs> is this that it is normal for God to speak with his kids. That, that's a normal thing. And I think the way our society has been, our culture has been, is that it's really unusual in that, you know, if God's talking to you, you might want to go, you know, make an appointment with a psychologist or something, you know, and you know, kind of work that stuff out. But the fact of the matter is that God speaking to his children is normal when you look at the text. And not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament as well. God speaking to his people in some way, shape, or form is normal. Secondly, I hope that um, you've realized or have um, come to the conclusion that it's a good idea to write down the things that you hear God saying and maybe put a date on it. That's just a good idea. I think that's just a wise thing. Because if you've heard something and you write it down, you can refer to it. Because very often what happens is that God will reveal something to you, but it's not necessarily complete that he actually, <laughs> he actually reveals more to you later on. Or what's really cool is when he relates it to someone else who tells you, and then you're like, well, wait a second, I've heard this before. It's not real until you write it down. So you can either pull out your phone, because I know you have a notes app on it, or you can actually do it analog, and write that thing down. Make sure you put a date on it so that you've got something to refer to. And throughout this entire series, we've been attempting to offer a little bit of, I guess I'll call it guidance, a little bit of um, um, advice. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're talking about this idea of, of now what? Now what? When you're in that moment when you're in the presence of God and you think you hear him say something to you, what do you do next? What should you expect? What's normal? What's, what do we find in the text and what do we find in people's experience? And so through the life of Abram, or who we later uh, call Abraham, um, we're learning how we can best respond to God. And I want you to remember that our definition of discipleship is really about listening and responding to God. There's a variety of different ways to listen. There's a variety of different ways to respond. But that's what discipleship is. It's not about just coming to church on Sunday and worshiping and filling up your spiritual tank, although that's part of it. But it's a, it's a Monday through Saturday thing as well. In fact, I think church is best expressed Monday through Saturday and Sunday. We just show up and celebrate all the things God has done the rest of the week. That's discipleship. Listening and responding to God and hearing and encouraging um, each other as it goes along. I, I, I want to take a little sidebar here. I feel like um, we've lost the operation of discipleship um, in many respects, at least in the American church. <clears throat> um, might be different around the world, I don't know. But it seems to me that we kind of, we kind of approach discipleship either um, passively um, or we just do activity. Let me, let me explain that a little bit because I think 
that we approach it from a passive standpoint um, when we think that, well, God may or may not be in this thing. I don't know. You know, I'm just going to keep going forward and pray that God blesses this sort of thing. And we never, never really check in with him. Guilty of that. Or um, we're passive where God will just show up. It's kind of random. We don't really know if he is going to show up or not. Um, and um, the other thing that, that is Jesus' magic wand. Bling, your life is better. <laughs> well, let me just dispel that myth for you because I'll, I'll tell you, Jesus will, will man, he, <laughs> sometimes he asks you to do some really weird stuff, which we're going to see. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about it. We, we tend to be passive. We've lost this operation of discipleship. The other thing that we often do is we, we treat it with activity, not actively, with activity. And here's what I mean by that. Is that we approach it like if we, we go to church or we read our Bible or if we pray, um, that that's enough. But we have little awareness of the fact that God is communicating to us directly through those things sometimes, but also directly. And so we'll do activity, but not necessarily make any progress as disciples. Does this make sense? You're doing activity or you're doing things passively without a full awareness of the fact that God wants to actually be with you to speak to you directly. That's discipleship. I'm still working on how all of that fits together just so I have a better way of communicating it. But I do think that that's at the very least what's happening. And it's this difference between having knowledge of God and knowing God. And some of you have heard me use this illustration before. I can stand here and I can tell you how to ride a bike. You will have knowledge of riding a bike. But until you actually put your behind on that saddle, you really don't know how to ride a bike. Does that make sense? And you know this because you've done this with your kids, many of you. You know, you get on and don't let go, don't go, let go. And you're like five blocks behind and okay. <laughs> and there they're off. They have knowledge of riding a bike by watching you, but until they actually ride the bike, they don't really know. And, and, and here's the thing, at Thrive Church, how about we just start with this idea of let's know God, right? Not knowledge of him, but let's know God. Let's listen to what he has to say for us individually and collectively. And so back to the, the storyline here, God calls Abram from his home to go to this unnamed, very mysterious land. This land that was a place that God would show him. I wonder, um, this thought uh, occurred to me not too long ago because... <clears throat> Our eldest daughter goes to school in Kentucky, and that is a long drive. I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, I don't mind making it. Um, I, I love being back in that state. But there are a lot of really flat states between here and there. I'm not sure I could ever live in southern Illinois. Those of you who live there, God bless you. But I, I, I'm not sure I could do that. Um, but I wonder if on this trip from... Um, what would be kind of modern-day Iraq through the Fertile Crescent down the Mediterranean into Israel. Uh, that, that's a long trip, and I just wonder if some of the people in Abraham's household that were moving with him, 
did the, are we there yet? <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like you get to the northern part of Lebanon. Are we there yet? <laughs> that kind of a thing. Anyway, that's just how my mind works. I don't know, but I, I wonder if that trip got long for him because it's not like he knew the destination. And I wonder if there was a moment when they arrived in what was the promised land, the land of Canaan, if there was a moment where he actually said, is this it? And he felt in his, his heart that God said, yeah. What did that feel like? I wonder that. Um, pure speculation on my part. But I'm human, and I presume that Abraham was human too. So, the call of God is always a call to adventure. Always. I don't know of a single person that has decided to follow Jesus in some way, shape, or form that hasn't had the opportunity for adventure. That doesn't mean everybody's taken it. But they've had the opportunity for it in some way. I, I don't know of anybody who hasn't. Not, not a single one. It might be a road trip to another part of the country or another part of the world. But usually it means that there's some inner work, some things that we have to do in our heart and character. And that's an adventure too. There's a lot of uh, struggle. There's a lot of resistance your own resistance. But it's this constant movement forward to, to being conformed to the image of Jesus. That's an adventure. So we should expect adventure. So if you're in the presence of God and God is speaking to you, don't be surprised if it's adventurous. Buckle up. Because things are going to get interesting. Always if you're taking your discipleship in Jesus seriously, always. Now, the other thing that we notice in the text too, and we kind of pointed this out last week, is that every few years or so, God pokes his head in just to see how Abram's doing. He gives him a little reminder. Uh, this kind of, uh, hey, you know, I'm gonna make you great, I'm gonna take care of you, those kinds of things. And you can go ahead and read that starting in chapter 12 and moving all the way through chapter 15. It happens periodically. But what's interesting to me is that in this particular case, as this story um, uh, lays it out for us, it really is, it really is every few years. You know? And I, I get a little anxious when I don't hear God after a few days. Right? I'm like, you know, I'm not hearing anything. But here we are in the text, and it's every few years. Now, God does show up, and then we should take some um, encourage, uh, encouragement from that. And we just read that again in, in the beginning part of Genesis 15, uh, 15. He came to Abram in a dream. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, uh, which is very common language for uh, prophecy, by the way, in the Old Testament. We see that time and time again. And the lesson here, I think, from, from that is that the revelation of God, when, when God reveals something to us, it's always an invitation to go a little bit deeper, to ask additional questions. Um, he's not afraid of them. He's not afraid of your first question, your second, or your third, or your 57th, whatever it happens to be. God's not afraid of those. And it's very often in that second and third question is where we see a breakthrough, we see God do something truly remarkable. In fact, I, if, if God is ever disappointed, and I'm not sure that he is, okay? Uh, 
that's a theological question for another day. But if God is ever disappointed, I think that he gets disappointed maybe because we settle for the answer to the first question. And don't get me wrong, y'all ought to celebrate an answer to prayer, right? I think all of us should go, woohoo, thank you, Jesus. Praise God for that. But is that the end? I don't think so. I think one of the reasons why God answers our prayers is so that we'll ask him another question. It's kind of like, come on, come on, give me another one, give me another one. Like, like he can't answer your questions, right? I mean, it's not like he's playing so do you want to be a millionaire game, right? Where he's got lifelines and whatnot. No, he, he knows the answer to whatever it is that you're asking. And I think that the answer to the prayer is an invitation. Come on, come on, one more. What else you got? Come on. Don't settle just for the first answer. Praise him for it, celebrate that, but don't settle for it. And I think that he wants us to go deeper. By the way, did you ask him a second question this week? Remember last week we had said, hey, why don't you ask God a second question this week? Let's see what happens. Yeah. Now you might recall that God made a promise here in verse 15. And Abram asked him about about children. He says, yeah, okay, you know, you're going to be my reward. but, But then what? And so God answers him and makes him a promise about the land. He says, no, 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 you don't have to worry about a servant inheriting your estate. You're going to have a son. That might seem impossible for you, but you're going to have that. And then he goes a step further and he says, you know, you're also going to have this land. And I love, love this. Abram says, how will I know? What a great second question. He asked him about the kids. That had to have been risky, don't you think? And then the second question is, how will I know? How how will I know that you're going to do these things? And I think this is what God was waiting for. And so what I want to do is I want to return to chapter 15 again and see what happens next in this story. I I think this is pretty powerful. There's a lot for us to learn. So let me pick this up. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the, the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Now, this seems like a very um, strange thing to do to butcher these animals in front of God. But hang on, hang on to the story. He goes on. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram uh, drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Now, I want to hit the pause button right there. I don't want to develop this too far. But the presence of God can be terrifying. And I know that sometimes when we think about the presence of God, we think about it all light and joy and happiness, but the typical response to the presence of God for people, at least in the Old Testament, was terror paralyzing terror. And so sometimes we think that's an evil thing, but no, when you are in the presence of something true and great, um, there is an awe that overcomes human beings because of the greatness and goodness and beauty of God, and it is terrifying. 
So this thick, can you imagine what thick and dreadful darkness is? I've only experienced it, I think, once in my life, once, maybe twice, when I was visiting, um, I think it was an underground copper mine in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, and they turned the lights off so that you knew how dark it was. Oh, wow, talk about thick and dreadful. That's the idea that's being conveyed here. And then God actually makes a prophecy about, about the offspring of, of Abram many generations later. And then he picks it up in verse 17. He says, when the sun had set, remember the thick and dreadful darkness was before the sun set. Keep that in mind. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces on that day, the Lord made or cut a covenant with Abram. Passed through the pieces. So, um, I remember a number of years ago, uh, my wife and I bought a quarter of a cow and put it in our freezer. How many of you have done this? It's a very economical way of buying beef, by the way. Um, and that quarter of a cow, we had a small chest free freezer, filled that thing up, I mean significantly. So if you've gotten a quarter or a half of a cow, you know that's a lot of meat. So imagine that piece of meat cut in half, one on either side, and a, and a ram, and a, what is a goat? Yes, right, you've got those three things. And there's this fire pot and this torch passing between the pieces. It's a weird thing to think about, isn't it? But hang on a second. Let's take a look at this a little more detail. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. This is really interesting to me because we actually see these same animals um, later on in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. After God brings um, Israel up out of slavery in the land of Egypt and gives them the law. He talks about certain sacrifices, certain ways that the Israelites could get right with God. And these animals are named. Maybe more, I don't think so. I think this is it. Um, I know sheep is mentioned, but that may be the same thing as ram. I'd have to do a little more digging. But these here are all the acceptable animals for sacrifice. I think there's a little foreshadowing going on, maybe. Just a thought. But this is interesting to me because if you were a wealthy Jew, you were required to bring to certain sacrifices either a heifer, a goat, or a ram. But if you were poor, you were allowed to bring a dove or a pigeon. In fact, we know that when Jesus was brought to the temple, his parents had birds. So we knew where they were socioeconomically. But here's the thing I want you to think about that's so in incredibly important. This covenant uses the animals for both rich and poor. What God promises to Abraham, 
is not for the elites, but for all of Abram's family. Everybody. That is a powerful image. When we look at what God is saying here, you're going to have the offspring that are as numerous as the stars. They're not all going to be rich. They're not all going to be poor. There's going to be mixed. And by the way, my covenant is for all of them. And what did he say in that first promise that he made to, to Abram is that I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all people. My thought is that the blessing of God isn't just for the elite. It is for the poor. Everybody is blessed by God. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, there is a ton of speculation about what a fire pot actually looks like. So, at the beginning of the pandemic, one of the things I did is I wanted to um, enjoy outside a little bit because we were obviously going to be home a little bit more. So, I went out and I bought one of these little chimeneas. You know what those are? Those are really cool right? There's this great little place here in Broken Arrow that sells them. It's a mom and pop shop, and they're very nice and very helpful, and so I bought one, and I got a package that included lava rocks to put in the bottom and pinion wood. I have no idea what pinion wood, but it burns really awesome. So we have this little chimney. So every time I see fire pot, I think of that. Cute little sun on it, you know, kind of a thing. All on fire and passing. I don't know if that's what the fire pot is or not. I have no idea, but that's what goes through my head. And this idea of a blazing torch. Well, one of the things that we know is that within um, the Old Testament especially, and obviously the New Testament too, is that one of the symbols of, for God is fire. And so here we have two very prominent symbols of fire passing between these pieces. And of course, um, he, like I said, he passes between them and he creates a covenant. Now let's talk a little bit about that. If you were an ancient Hebrew, this would have been astonishing to you. Now, here's the thing. <clears throat> why did they cut the pieces? And why did somebody walk through it? Well, when you made a covenant with someone in that day and age, what you were essentially saying is, what has happened to these animals being torn in half, if I am to break the covenant, may that happen to me? It's serious business. If you're going to sacrifice an animal in order to make a covenant, this is a big deal. And you walk between the pieces and you're saying, I'm acknowledging the consequences of breaking the covenant. May this happen to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not excited about that. But this is an astonishing thing. This is a very common practice that people would do based on you know, the legality of the time and the day. But if you were an ancient Hebrew, this would have been shocking. Why? Because God made the covenant with Abram. That's backwards. You see, normally what would happen is, is that the person of inferior or lesser rank would make the covenant with the one with greater rank. I'm going to create this covenant with you, and if I do not perform according to the covenant, may this happen to me. But Abram's not the one who walked through the pieces. 
Who did? God. God walks through the pieces of the animal. If I break my covenant, may what happened to these animals, they're cut in two, may it happen to me. And they walk through. And so God is answering Abram's question. How will I know? And he cuts the covenant. God says, let me walk through the pieces. And so he does. Deities did not make covenants with mere mortals. Humans were the ones who were to make the promise. This is the kind of God that we serve. He'll make promises and then he'll solidify them in ways that we understand. Which is why it's a really good idea to write things down. If you catch my meaning. Now, here's, the, here's a really cool part. We could end it right there. We could stop right there and go, goodness of God, isn't that great? Yes, God's so good. You know, he demonstrates his love for us. But you know what? Human beings, we're not really good about living up to our end of any bargain, are we? We're not good at keeping up with the covenant. In fact, we've, we've, got, we've got an entire book that tells us this over and over again. Israel makes the covenant, and then they do something stupid. And then they, God forgives them, sends them some type of a redeemer, and everything's good for a while, and then they do something stupid. Which sounds an awful lot like my life. How about yours? And over and over again, we're, we're not particularly good at this type of thing. And so what happens with this is God ultimately took on the violent reprisal for covenant breaking. You know, he knew Abram and his family were the ones who were going to blow it, and yet he's like, okay, you're going to blow it, but I'm still going to take it. I'm going to deal with this. I will take the violence of this. And of course, he did when Jesus was killed on a Roman cross. <laughs> That's God living up to his part of the, of the covenant that he made with Abram for not just his family, but for all of us. Whether we are by blood or by spiritual adoption, he's saying, I'm going to take it on, and he did through Jesus. And that's grace. That's the gift that he gives each and every one of us. It's really this beautiful thing that he does. I'm going to make this covenant. I'm going to cut this covenant with you and everybody that follows you, whether they be by blood or by, by spiritual adoption, doesn't matter to me. I'm going to do it because I know you're going to blow it, but that's okay. I'm still going to do it because that's how much I love you. How cool is that? But there's one more thing. One more thing. I want you to notice something. Abram asks the second question. How will I know? And of course, God makes the statement, bring me some livestock. And then, Abram has to get the livestock, he's got to slaughter the livestock, and then he has to arrange the livestock. Oh yeah, he also has to chase the carrion birds away. Right? So God, so uh, Abram had to actually do something. He, he actually had a little bit of work to do 
in this. So he asked the second question. God is willing to answer him in the second question, but he's got some tasks that he has to perform. And this is an important piece of it. So not only does he have to do the work, but chasing the carrion birds away, he's got to protect the work. He's got to do that as well. And so here's the lesson here, that the call of God is always about an adventure. The revelation of God is always about an invitation to go deeper, but the voice of God means that there's always another step to take. Always. There's always a step to take. And you've heard me say this before. I don't care how old you are on the calendar. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You always have another step to take with God. Everybody. In fact, some of the the holiest people I've ever met understood this principle more than anybody else that I knew because they're not the ones to tell you that they're holy because they knew they got another step to take with God. They always knew that. Every one of them that I've ever met. So Abram received the covenant after, after he asked the question and acquired and prepped the animals. After he did the work. Then he got the covenant. Do you see that? There's an order to this thing. And God is constantly saying, are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? Go a little deeper. Ask the next question. Do the next step. Whatever that happens to be. Do those things. I've got this thing for you. Don't worry about it because there's this, there's this goodness that's coming. And that's what we call the covenant. So last week, several of you told me that God had had said to you that you wanted that you needed to ask some questions. Or maybe you just kind of felt it in your own spirit. By the way, that's a God, God talking to you. When you're feeling that way, when you're feeling like you gotta, like I got more questions to ask, yeah, God's going, come on, come on. I'm ready for him. I want him. And maybe you also have a step to take to do an action. You, you may have some of that to do too. Maybe you're in a broken relationship and you have to make a phone call. Maybe you want to see him face to face, but maybe you need to make that phone call. Maybe you're in a difficult job situation. And if that's the case, maybe the step is to brush up your resume and float a few of them out there. Or having a very uncomfortable conversation with your boss. Maybe that's the step. Maybe you're experiencing some anger and fear and sadness like we talked about a few months ago. Maybe the step you need to take is to schedule an appointment with a counselor. Maybe that's what you have to do. Some of you, some of you, the step that you have to take is to simply accept the fact that God loves you right now, even if you are a Christian. But you've gotten into this rut where you're, you're believing some lies about yourself and that you wonder, okay, would God just put me in this set of circumstances? When the fact of the matter is you don't know but maybe you need to go back to the very first principle that God loves you. And that's the step you have to take is to 
I'm not feeling the love, Lord, but I'm trusting that you actually do and that you're going to see me through this because you promised me that you would never leave me nor forsake me. Maybe that's the next step. So I want to finish today by just kind of leaving you with a thought. What step is the Lord asking you to take? For some of you, it's a second question. For some of you, it's an actual action. For some of you, it's, well, I don't know, but I trust that God does and he's going to speak to you. Let's pray. Jesus, you love us. You cut a covenant with a human being who was destined to, to fail. And each one of us here, we, we too are going to blow it from time to time. And yet, the cross says that you offer grace and mercy and hope. Holy Spirit, as I'm praying here, I'm just aware of the fact that you're moving, um, that there are people who are either here or online who know that this is true, that you love them, and they're having a hard time believing you. I pray, Lord, that you would break through that resistance now in Jesus' name. I pray to you, Lord, that the voice of shame that says that they're not good enough, that they're not worthy enough, that they're not smart enough or whatever, Lord, that it would be silenced in the name of Jesus and by the blood of the cross that it would have no more voice in their life. And God, I pray that um, as each person goes about their day today, they would sense your presence, would sense the adventure and the invitation in the eventual step that they have to take, Lord, that they would lean into that a little bit more, that they wouldn't be afraid of you and what you have for them. And even as I'm praying this, Lord, I know there are things in my own life frankly, I'm just afraid of. And that I know that I need you continually call me forward, inviting me, challenging me, not because you're out to get us, but because you're out for our good and our benefit, that you have our best interest at heart. And Father, as we enter into the holiday season, especially the season of Thanksgiving, may your spirit bring to mind all of the things that we have that we can be grateful for. Lord, you have blessed us richly <laughs> simply by the country that we live in, but by circumstance and by the work of your son on the cross. And Holy Spirit, now this is your church. You can do what you will. We listen whether we're here or at home. And Father, speak to us in a way that we'll understand. 
In Jesus' name, amen.